Happy New Year, friends, and welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. My name is Danny. And I'm Connie. The author of Hebrews writes that our hope in Jesus Christ is a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. So come and join us and let us celebrate this journey with Christ. Come on in. Our first lesson is from the book of Genesis 9, 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second lesson is in Mark 1, 9 through 15. Now, we have explored this passage a few weeks ago, and again, Mark is so condensed that every couple of verses, big things are happening without a whole lot of deep explanation. In the past, uh, when we read this in January, it was about the baptism. And now, today, we are focusing on the temptation, but it includes these other pieces. So listen again with fresh ears. We are in Mark 1, 9 through 15. Listen. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent 
and believe in the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want to share a book with you today, one that many of you are aware of. It's called Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak, written in 1963, won a Caldecott Medal in next year, 1964, for Excellence in Children's Ministry, uh, Children's Ministry, Children's Literature. Sorry, it just kind of just goes. Um, it's a story of little Max who is getting into trouble. He is dressed in a wolf suit this particular night, and with good reason. He was doing all kinds of things that upset his mother. He's running after the dog with a fork, and other things of mischief to which his mother finally says, go to bed without supper. Anybody? I'll ask for a show of hands on that one. Ever been to sent, sent to bed without your supper? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, oh my. Got some work to do. And so when he goes to bed, then his room transforms and the trees start to encroach in his former bedroom and the forest grows and he is surrounded by an ocean and a boat comes for him. And he gets in his boat, it says Max on the side, and he is triumphantly riding the waves to where the wild things are. So eventually... It took days and weeks, maybe even the better part of a year. He went past sea monsters and waves and all kinds of difficult things in his journey. And he gets to this place where there are wild things and they are big toothy creatures and scary. But Max was scarier yet. He knew the secret was to stare at them and stare them down. And he became the most wild thing, more wild than the rest, and they made him their king. And as soon as they did, he said, let the wild rumpus begin. And they shouted, and they barked and howled at the moon, and they swung from trees. And then he sent them to bed without their supper, because he could. But a funny thing happened. Max starts to miss his mother. All this was all well and good. He even thought he could smell that good dinner that she had cooked for him but denied him of. And so Max missed the love of his mother. So he decides to leave the wild things who say, we will gobble you up, we love you but we will gobble you up. He says, no, got to go. Gets in his boat for the perilous journey back through days and weeks, maybe the better part of a year, going through this and that till finally he wakes up in his room and there is his dinner, still hot. Now, what's the point? Well, I think it's kind of an outline for our journey. So before we get there, let's take a look at our passages today. Two good ones. I could go on for three, four hours easy. I'm only going to do one. So settle in. It's good stuff. Just kidding. So first, in Genesis 9, we have the flood on the other side of it. 
Noah has come through, and this is God making God's covenant with all of us. And the amazing thing is, is a covenant is usually a promise you think of two people entering into. It's kind of a promise, kind of a holy promise as a covenant. But here, God only restrains God's self. God doesn't say like he says elsewhere in scripture that I will be your God if you will be my people. If you will follow what I have laid out for you, obey my commandments, then I will be your God. No, God never brings us in except to say, I will no longer, God says. Bring my wrath upon you in this way. And as a sign, that bow. What is a bow? A bow and arrow? It's a weapon of war. Except God unstrings it and faces it, positions it, the business end, toward heaven, or in other words, not towards us. As if to say, God is reinforcing that God will no longer do us harm. It is a sign of God's love, God's grace, and God's compassion, even though we deserve the business end of that bow. And out of this comes a new creation, because the rest of the world is starting over. Is God foolish enough to think that Noah and his family won't sin? Well, it doesn't take long. And we're right back to where we were. It's as if God tried something with that Garden of Eden, didn't work and wiped it out and started again and thought, well, maybe I have a better plan. But of course, we know God knows all things, is omnipotent. And what starts here ends with Christ. Just as in this Lenten journey, we began this past week with Ash Wednesday. The ashes are meant to focus us on our own mortality. But with Christ, there is no death. There is only life. And that's what frames our Lenten journey. We begin with an understanding that we are just human. This world is not in our control. It is all because of our loving God through the risen Christ. And then it ends on Easter morning with the resurrection. Starts with a recognition of death and ends with new life. And our journey begins in between those two places. And in Mark's gospel, we get a little John the Baptist again. We get Jesus being baptized again. And then immediately after the baptism as it is in Mark 4, Luke 4, the other two accounts of Jesus being tempted, the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness. It didn't ask him if he would come. It didn't say, hey, we've got a spot for you, Jesus. It drives him out. They all say that. Into the wilderness. And in Mark's account, it says, and he is with the wild beasts. Tempted by Satan in the wilderness 40 days. This 40-day journey, the six weeks, not counting the Sundays, because each Sunday is a mini Easter and we celebrate that Christ is risen even in the midst of this Lenten preparation for Easter. So these 40 days based on Jesus in the wilderness, other 40s in the Bible that you can think of, shout them out. What other significant events happen around the number 40? 40 days of the flood, right. Noah just came through. 40 days. 
right? The Israelites were wandering in the wilderness after they were freed from their slavery in Egypt, wandered so that next generation would really be the ones to inherit the promised land. Elijah was in the Sinai wilderness for 40 days. So 40 is a significant number, but directly here because of Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days. The other two gospel accounts, uh, Matthew and Luke, talk much more about the experience. Talked about each one of those three ways that the devil tempted Jesus. That first one, I know you're hungry, Jesus, because fasting is a part of this. I know you're hungry, just, just change the stone into bread. Man does not live by bread alone. Second one, up to the pinnacle of the temple, throw yourself down. Because it says in Psalm 91, the angels will attend you and not let you hurt your, dash your foot against a rock. And Jesus again says, um, shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the third one, up to this cliff, this mountain where God, uh, the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Just worship me. How hard is that? I'll give all of this to you. And Jesus says, nope, we are to worship God alone. All of those three responses are from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8 and 2 from Deuteronomy 6. So each time, Jesus uses scripture to refute the devil. But the devil, on that second one, uses scripture himself. From Psalm 91, a psalm of Moses. A psalm of protection and trust. Satan uses scripture. Proof texts. Because it's all wonderful. The rest, it's a, it's a marvelous psalm. Beautiful, wonderful. But Satan takes this little piece and says, well, uh, okay, you're playing the scripture game with me and your little Deuteronomic responses. I'll throw some scripture at you. Jesus obviously sees through it. And in that time, as Mark says, the angels attended him. That's kind of interesting. What does that mean? Did they protect him from the wild beasts? Did they, well, they couldn't bring him food because he was fasting. But he wasn't alone. Some semblance of God and representation of God was with him, and he was not alone in that wilderness. Often we look at the beginning of the Lenten journey as wilderness. If you can see my, my stole, it starts over here on this side with just a barren tree. That is a sign of the wilderness. And then there are six different pieces of fabric, three on this side, three on this side, with a little path running through them. That signify the six weeks of Lent, ending with the cross. Without a body, meaning resurrection. We start in the wilderness. Temptation, one of those hard things for us. We face it every day. Big and small. Things that we think, well, won't impact me or others too bad. And others that we know, we just flat know it will. Temptation is one of those things that we experience every day of our lives. In some sense, that 
kind of puts our lives as a wilderness experience. Temptation is such a challenge for us. There's the story, and I won't ask for for raised hands, of four young men in high school, and they decide they're going to play hooky for at least part of the day. So they go, and they get some coffee in the morning, and they stay, and they go out to lunch in the afternoon. They come back in the middle of their class, and they said, oh, we're sorry they were all in the same class to the teacher. Uh, We had a flat tire. So it took us four plus hours to figure that out. So she says, no problem, sit down. We had a quiz, you can make it up real quick. Take out a pencil, piece of paper, so they do. And she says, okay, now silently, your first question is only one question. Which tire was flat? Hmm, uh-oh. You teachers know, you smell this out. It's a part of your training and your experience. You know when you smell a rat. They took that temptation got the best of them. Sometimes we win that battle and sometimes we lose. Sometimes we can stand. Sometimes we can say that would be a poor decision for these reasons. Sometimes we don't think at all. Sometimes our heart, our emotion, the moment overcomes us. Sometimes it is peer pressure, no matter what age you are. Sometimes we keep feeding those things in which we are looking for salvation and hope even though we know they are short-lived. The lie about temptation is that we think those things will make us happier. And they may for a short while. Take Amazon. Every day is like a little Christmas. Because you can order a book or order something little or something big. Oh, today I need this, today I need that. Certainly in the shutdown, it became something that I think more and more people did on a regular basis. And you come home and there's, there's a package on your steps. Oh, what is it? Well, I know because I ordered it. But it's something you get to open. It's a new thing. And you got that thing, but we got to order the next thing. Well, we got that thing, that's a kitchen thing. Oh, I got something for the garage or or the yard. I got a pet, I need a pet thing. I need another book, I need another book. And so we continue to try to make ourselves feel happy and fulfilled with that one more gadget, that one more piece, then I'll know. One more piece, then I'll be complete. And gosh, my family can do this or I can do that. And it never stops. In the Lenten journey, it is up to you whether you give things up for God or take things on or some degree of both. My only suggestion is that if you give something up, make sure it's for God and not just for you. I did a little search on 40 days of giving up and the first thing came up with in the search engine, how much weight can I lose in 40 days of fasting? Well, okay. That's not all bad, but if that's the chief reason you're going in, you're doing it to glorify yourself and not God. Now, if you're giving something up that does harm to yourself or you want to take a break from something that you love that may not be the healthiest thing, I've given up caffeine before. That was really hard. I gave up meat once in college. 
where I, I couldn't even cook my own food. I was at the mercy of the cafeteria. Vegetarians, you know, often the vegetarian option, not so good. But I did it. And both of those two were several times a day I would reach for something and think, oh, nope, not doing that. I'm trying to, trying to focus myself. I'm trying to use this time to reframe my, my journey. Don't do 40 days of fasting. It is not good for you. It is not God's intent for you. You will harm yourself. Check with the doctor before entering any kind of fasting program. But what if you gave up a lunch one day a week? Or maybe a Monday and a Wednesday so that you go through your day and it's lunchtime and your stomach's growling and you think, why, why am I hungry? Oh, well, because I gave that up. What could you then do with that time that you would normally spend having lunch? Well, you could do a daily devotion. You could just sit in peace and quiet and connect with God. You could read a passage. So it's not just that we give things up. It's what can help bring us closer to Christ in this season of preparation. It is doing that hard work, that recognition that we know a lot of the things we do are shallow and empty, and yet we keep cranking it out as if one of these things is going to stick and we'll finally be happy because of this sin or that sin. And the way I judge that a sin is anything that separates you from God. It's not a little bit of this or a little bit of that. It's a lot of bit of this that starts to take over. We're all programmed personality-wise to be susceptible to different opportunities to, to stray from God. What if we took that time? We know darn well we speak too much in a crowd or we don't speak enough. How do we take this time to try to practice working against that? If you only spend time with yourself, what if you take some time in a safe way and distance way and masked way to serve others somehow once a week for the next six weeks? Just to remind yourself that there are those outside of our world. The opportunities are great. The hard part is to do the inner work where we look in and decide like little Max that while we've been swinging from the trees and howling at the moon, we miss the love that is steadfast. We miss the love that is bigger than all of our sins combined and is what truly brings our lives meaning, happiness, joy, forgiveness, life, grace, and that is the love of God through Christ. To finish up this analogy from the book, Max realizes at the end that he misses the true love in his life, the love of his mother. And he decides that, again, this wild thing behavior is less important than going home to true love. He gets back in his boat, and remember on the way up, the way over, his boat had Max on it. It was him. It was the journey of himself. On the way home, it doesn't say Max on the boat. This voyage home is our Lenten journey. 
We have been in our own ways swinging from the trees and howling at the moon in our own specific ways. Maybe others can't observe that, but we know. We know where we go astray. We know the things that we need to work on, whether we fully self-explored or not. And Christ is that boat that brings us home to God. To that true love that is better than any of the wild beasts or parties or behavior that we think will make us happy. Christ is that boat, that journey that we climb again and walk with through this Lenten time of preparation. So let's do the hard work today. Let's start. Because as we all know, unless we struggle some, we often do not grow. Jesus struggled in that time in the wilderness. It wasn't easy for him because Jesus was Jesus. He had to deal with the very human things that we do on a daily basis, and he made it. And he came out to a new identity. Our call is to give some time to struggle now. Yes, that's what it is. But so we may rise with Christ on Easter so that we may claim the new life, having come out the other side and worked to be closer to Christ. A disciple that is more faithful. Now, did little Max, do we, are we foolish enough to think he never sinned again? He never wanted to be wild again? Of course not. But he knows what trumps all of that is that steadfast love. And so do we. So let's head home. We can smell the bread. We can smell the cup. God is calling and waiting for us to enjoy the steadfast love that is offered through Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.